Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, yes. Sustain Open Source Design. SOS. <laughs> what are you calling <laughs> Welcome to the Sustaining Open Source Design Podcast, or the SOS Podcast for short. This is where we talk about everything to do with open source and design and all the intersecting, interesting things that come up between those two different cultures and two different practices together. We have a few hosts on the call today. We have Richard Latour. Hello. We have Perry Omeja. Hi. We have Memo Esparza. Hey, everyone. And myself, Errol Fox. Today, our guest is Abhishek Sharma. They are calling in from Gurgaon. I think that's pronounced correctly. Perhaps you can, in your introduction, can correct my pronunciation of where you are based. And they are the head of design at a company called Coloured Cow. So hello, Abhishek. Hey, everyone. So you are currently managing one of the open source projects there at Coloured Cow called Gillifit. Is that Gillifit, correct pronunciation? Yep. Gillifit. Great. And your responsibilities are looking after the UI and UX design, the interaction, and interacting with the users on a regular basis to improve the product. Visual communications and tapping into something that you've described as product-led growth, which I really want to hear more about. But if you'd like to Tell us a little bit more about what you do day to day and your role at Coloured Cow on Gillifit. Uh, so hi, everyone. I head designer at a software developing company called Coloured Cow. Uh, working here has been an evolution of sorts. You know, while I was still studying, I was really driven to conceptualize and build product. And that had a wide-reaching impact. But as I got more involved, I only learned that I didn't know a lot about. Working at Coloured Cow and heading design here uh, has been about uh, like managing a lot of client projects. And one of them is Glyphic, where I am also a product manager. Uh, so I look after a lot of uh, aspects, which is the graphics, the UI UX, the branding. In fact, you know, that's how uh, it also began. Like I uh, did the branding of the project product. I'm also taking care of the marketing and other areas as well. So that's how like the product cycle kind of evolves. Just to give you a brief introduction about what Glyphic is right now, it's an open source WhatsApp chatbot that enables NGOs to communicate with their beneficiaries. So we're building it mainly for the Indian and the developing parts of the world because it's based on the premise that a lot of uh, developing nations have, you know, have a wide, have a deep penetration of WhatsApp and a lot of people use this. So we wanted to give organizations, uh, the NGOs, an opportunity or additional means to talk to their beneficiaries on a daily basis. So that's one project that I'm managing right now. So from your introduction, Abhishek, you basically described about four different kinds of job titles and job positions, which to me isn't unusual in the open source space. How do you manage your time and how do you Make sure that you are doing each of these kinds of roles well. And is it something that you've also seen other designers taking on as well in the open source space? So a little bit of product management, a little bit of 
community engagement? Yeah, so the arrangement we have with uh, Glyphic and with most projects, it ends up being, you know, like a very startup driven, like startup-ish kind of uh, structure where you do not have a lot of designers on board. You'll have a development team, there's front-end development, there's back-end development, and there's a designer. So I have been the sole designer for a while here. And that has led me to play multiple roles also because I, to some extent, you know, resonate and connect with all of these areas. So when I started this product, it was, you know, beginning with the design research, understanding from the users what the challenges. And that's where we kind of build out the scope of the product and then translating all of those research and learnings into a product. As we kind of launched the first usable version of the product and onboarded a lot of the NGOs and users onto it, we needed there to be more community engagement. You know, we had to find the fit with now since there is you know, less resources on the design front, what ends up happening is you play multiple roles. And for me, that, that it had been a sequence of tasks that I had to do, like from design research to UI UX to community engagement and product roadmap and everything. So right now our product is in a state that we want to make it reach as many organizations as possible. So as many NGOs can use it. A lot of the features that we've built so far they can solve you know, a large part of the problems that NGOs have related to communicating with their beneficiaries. So in a way, our feature set is to a large extent solved. Now the need of the product is to have user base, right? Where actually it's, it's applied in the, on the ground. Uh, now I'll again go back to managing resources and funding of the program. It's not that I right now need a lot of designers on board so that we can perform all the functions in parallel. There are activities that happen like in a cycle. Right? So how I divide my time is, you know, I'd have weekly milestones and weekly goals where I would say, okay, I'll dedicate one day to community engagement and just interacting with uh, all the NGOs and getting them up to speed, helping them out with figuring out the use cases with the product. Some days will be you know, working on the newsletters, communication aspects, doing where actual design work will happen. Sometimes when there'll be new feature requests from NGOs, we will... Uh, you know, design that. So my time kind of ends up being these chunks of cycles. And I feel that being in that space as a small team and trying to do a large part of things, we have to wear multiple hats. Like each and each team member has to uh, wear multiple hats for the things that we need to get for the product. And that's where I see myself, you know, playing all of these different roles and contributing to the product. I want to ask you something that we always ask usually at the beginning of the call is about your personal path. You mentioned that you don't come from a designer education. So I would love to know what has been your path leading you where you are now. How did you get start to get engaged with designing and creative projects? And how was that shift from your perspective? For me, like a lot of the designers out there, I don't come from a design background. That's to say, you know, I was one of those people who were pursuing engineering, one of the many people uh, in India who are pursuing engineering. But towards the end of or the four years, the time spent on engineering uh, degree, I had kind of a falling out. I knew that my heart wasn't really into it. And I did, you know, a quick self-discovery where I wanted, I drew some Venn diagrams, figured out, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is what I can do. So after a few things, I realized that I wanted to get into something to do with graphics, copy, you know, impacting uh, user behaviors. 
So I kind of started out with thinking uh, advertising was my place to be because I would be like really charmed by these powerful messages that would go out and, you know, it would actually impact the way people think. But then it was very quickly that I met this team of, you know, developers because I also had this notion of building and conceptualizing an idea that would have impact using technology. Also, it was very easy for me to like advertising as the choice and move towards design because I was also good at it and I had found a platform and a place to do it with the other folks. So that's kind of my journey, you know, into design. I was really not good at it at the beginning. I was just full of, you know, ambition that, okay, let's, this is what I wanted to do, but not much on the skills part. So my journey into design and becoming better every day was I would just pick up whatever came along my way. And if I knew that it fit in the realm of design, I would just work on that and I'll try to learn along the way and take help from the team to make that happen. And what also fascinated me a lot was, you know, how design was really this uh, problem solving. So actually, as soon as I got into design, there was some problem with the other to be solved, which was quite engaging. And yeah, it just pulled me in. And then one project after the other, learning every day and seeing that you've built something which helps people do the job better or helps people, you know, tell the story better. I think that was really great start and it made me stick. You mentioned briefly about community engagement and something that you have written about is being mission-driven. And I can really tell from the way that you describe what you do in Colored Cow and how you work with Gillifit and why you would work on an amazing tool that that connects beneficiaries with NGOs and, and facilitates those communications. I can totally understand but. What I'm really curious to know more detail about is how you do different kinds of community engagement, how you talk to, if you're allowed to, tell us how you talk to NGOs, how you build in their ideas into this open source tool. And especially if you're working with, say, NGOs or beneficiaries that maybe don't often get heard in open source software as loudly as, say, people that I'm going to use a phrase which maybe some people won't agree with, but like the rules of open source software, for lack of a better term. So I'd love to know how you engage the kinds of people that Gilefic is most useful for. Actually, this is turning out to be a lot more fun aspect of this product management than I thought it would be. And in fact, now I have started seeing my role as, you know, equating product management to actually being this community facilitator and, you know, engagement creators for the lack of a better word. How I see and how it's happening for us is, so the product has been started by, you know, founders who have experience in the social sector space and they have created previous products. So they come with, you know, some having created a vast community around this. And in fact, in my past work with Colored Cow in creating designs and building, you know, digital solutions, I have also worked with a lot of NGOs, which kind of fed into this role quite nicely and smoothly. So how it happens right now is one of the things that we do is have monthly webinars where we would announce that, you know, we want to discuss this topic, which is really about the problems that they want to solve, what the NGOs want to solve. It's not uh, really the tech or the solution and, you know, like the solution we're building. It's really about the problem that the NGOs are solving. So it kind of gives them a space or 
on the topic that they resonate with. So one of the things that we do is webinars. The other thing is like a lot of the NGOs have, you know, found value in this product that we are building. They see that it's cool. It's something that they want to try out and they want to explore. So there is some sticky value to the product that we're building, which at least gets the conversation starting. So I, I really like that. And it gets us to at least interact with them and they are open to hearing us out. The third thing we are doing very actively is to build a support channel and a community space where these NGOs can interact with each other, with their team, development team, design team, support team, and with each other so that they can learn from each other. The main tool or the platform that we have been running it on is Discord. And all the organizations that we've onboarded are even not onboarded. They uh, hang out there, they learn from each other, and they discuss you know, what could be the features, how they could solve their problem with the tool. Actually, it's mostly about using the platform. Like I, as a community facilitator, so to say, I also you know, reach out to them, have weekly interactions, saying, trying to understand how they've been using the product, uh, what their experience has been, what are the good things they're doing with it, are they achieving what they really set out to achieve? That way, if there is some gap between what they had initially thought of and what they're not able to achieve, we would try to fill in by learning more about. So for example, somebody would say, we really want to do good with reporting and data analysis. So we'll work with them and figure out what kind of reports they want to create. And we'll try to bridge you know, the product and the goals. So these are just some of the things that we've been doing. And I realized that for open source, actually for any product, but especially for open source, what we really need to do is garner that community space where people can learn from each other about solving their problems. So when we you know, do these case studies, it gives other organizations, other NGOs a chance to, to learn from each other and figure out if this organization can do use a WhatsApp chatbot for such and such use case, then I can do so too. And I would also hear from a lot of organizations that, you know, they, they would come actually come forward and say, how are other people using it? And can we learn from them? So I end up connecting a lot of NGOs with other NGOs also, those who are doing good and those who want to try new things. So I think this creates like a, and I, and I feel that there may not be a lot of products out there, especially if it's not open source, that they will have such a community where it's all about peer learning, community learning, and a lot of our onboarded NGOs enjoy that, that aspect or they appreciate that, that aspect. So yeah, I mean, uh, kind of a broken <laughs> and uh, I've been all over the place for this answer, but just to give you an idea of uh, what are the various things that we're doing, community development. Based on the things you just mentioned that you, you guys are working on for the community engagement part, do you think going through the path of building a community that uses your product, increase the adoption of that particular product, like getting people together and then giving them a space to learn peer-to-peer, -peer, does it increase the adoption of that particular product or your product in general? Has that includes adoption? Actually, that's a great question. And when I started working on this, that's what I had thought. Like, that was the best rationale that I could come up with. Uh, if I create that community, if we create those use cases, I haven't been able to measure the direct impact of building those use cases and connecting with each other because I haven't seen any spikes with adoption. It's the way it was because a lot of times what will happen is NGOs, if they have to use the product, they will only get interested and they'll talk to you and they'll talk to the product teams when, they are in, when they're themselves interested, when they know that they can invest in it in terms of time, cost, team, 
and any form of resources that they need to do it. And if they're completely inclined towards using it. And that's what you like all of the, uh, when I say product-led growth or product segment, that's what uh, we keep trying to achieve. But I haven't for sure seen any spikes as a direct consequence of building that space. But I do know that because of that, at least the organizations that are using it find value. They learn from each other. They refer to those uh, resources. And if they refer to those resources, it at least has a higher retention aspect to it. When I hear you like um, talking about this community building, I hear that you use stuff like webinars with your users to keep your community building going. I wanted to know if any of that community building exists focused on design projects, like sharing assets or libraries or stuff like that. How do you interact with this open source culture in your organization with design? Uh, efforts haven't uh, been a lot towards building a design or development community as such. Right now, it has been a lot to do with getting the product adopted and getting it growing because like, one of the goals for this open source product is to make it sustainable. And to make it sustainable, I think one of the priorities for us is to get engineers to, to use it and have more user, a wider user base. And probably once we have that, we can go into building you know, designer community Uh, and actually, that's a thing that I have uh, often thought about as well. Like, even if I were to uh, go out and build a design community, how would I do that? Or what would it be based on, right? Because once the product reaches kind of a saturation stage in terms of building new features and everything, then what are the things that you engage your community with? So I have, uh, you know, all of our like scalable design systems uh, set up. It's open for, uh, for people to see. And that has been something that I've also extended to other uh, designers like a couple of times when we've had our uh, designers join us. But beyond, that's a question that I kind of often think about as well or struggle with. Like you can make your design systems open source, all of your brand guidelines, your features, your documentation open source. But what beyond it? What's in it for the designers to come back and to what else is there? Yeah. I think what's interesting for me is that question memo was kind of loaded, you know, because like, how do you interact with design things? And here he is talking about design the entire time. He's just designing on the community space. So Abhishek, I'm curious, how do you view yourself as a designer as well as a community manager? Do you see them being in conflict? Do you see them being the same exact thing? Do you ever move pixels around or would you say that isn't design? I mean, that's what I've, I've been thinking. Like, I think as a community manager, the thing that happens with As you move into a community manager role, is it, you know, it keeps increasing your empathy towards the uh, users, towards the space. Because uh, like as a designer, I, what I need to do is solve problems. And when I have to solve problems, I need to learn a lot more from the user. I need to keep hearing what are the things that they're saying. I have to keep an uh, ear out for that, right? So pushing pixels will only move me into the design space. But I feel that this empathetic value or You know, hearing the users is a lot more important than because this out, like when we started with this product, there were a few things or the few features that we thought would be really cool for, uh, you know, the NGOs to use, but to our surprise, none of them used it. So how do I call myself designer being, you know, pushing pixels or while hearing the community and then translating into the design, right? And that's why I kind of feel this uh, role of being a community manager and listening to the community is very important for all designers out there who want to make meaningful, impactful products. 
that's exactly the answer I was hoping you might give, but it was above and beyond. I agree with you. I really like the thing about empathy is what you learn as a community designer. And that's maybe more important than just pushing pixels. That resonated really strongly with me. So no follow-ups, just a resounding applause, I guess. I think I'd like to follow up on what both of you have said, because I think that we need both, right? We need for good products, meaningful, impactful products, as Abhishek says, we need designers and community-focused researchers, user-focused people to really understand what the real actual needs are of open source software, especially when you're working in critical spaces like NGOs do. And then we also need great visual designers that translate those needs into those meaningful, impactful product UIs that, that work together. So sometimes that's the same person, sometimes it's multiple people. And I think that one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough, which is what Abhishek is talking about, is that talking to the community and understanding the community's needs of your open source software is design for sure. Beautiful conversation. I can't agree more with your comments, Abhishek. To just complete that thought, and I agree to that 100%, like there is UI, because if you're not giving your users the best pathway to use the product, then also, like if you're not translating that empathy into the right UX, then also you're, you're creating that gap somewhere or the other. And actually that also goes on to the communication design part as well. If you're not telling the right story of the product, then also you lose a lot of the impact of the product, right? If you're not able to convince or, or get that support or inclination for people to use it. So yes, that all across it, right? Just starting from the story to hear, to telling your story, to hearing their story, to translating it to, you know, meaningful interface. So I completely agree with you. It's just that this was the phase I was in, you know, playing a much active role as a community, like uh, these current weeks and months. Uh, that's where I just took, that's what I completely agree with you. This makes perfect sense, given that you're head of design there. And I think that this is indeed what a lot of head of design roles think about when they are working on software. And it's lovely that we have more people that are thinking about these things within open source software because heads of design exist in large amounts in proprietary and commercial software for sure. But in open source software, it's rarer to see people in positions where they are empowered with this ability to think holistically, I want to say, about the way that design impacts the and benefits the the end users or the users, the humans, the NGOs. And it's great that you have explained that really clearly within your answers to these questions. So thank you. It is, we've come full circle on this design journey, which is great. I'm really curious to dig into something that you mentioned briefly in an answer to Memo's question, which is around, you haven't engaged with designers yet too much in the open source space. And you've been thinking maybe about how you might want to engage with them. And I would love to hear if there's any ideas of how you are thinking about potentially engaging with them in the future. But also you've mentioned something about early career designers focusing heavily on theoretical design knowledge versus what you could describe as like real life design experience and knowledge. 
And I would love to also see whether that's come into your thinking around how to plan for designers being involved in the open source software and in Gillifit. I mean, to answer the first part of your question, what would be the potential engagement for the designers who were to engage them? I think some of the things that I see right now are in research, in interacting with a lot more organizations to hear out their problems. What ends up happening is a lot of times we would ask these loaded questions or try to do this research from one point of view that it may elude the things that we really want to learn and to no fault of our own or the designers. It's just something that we don't need to practice and in interaction with NGOs to learn like what are the problems that we need to solve for them. So for Glyphic, I think what we'll the direction we could take is do more research, learn more from the users, what could be the scope or potential of the, you know, the product. Uh, the second thing will be to tell the story a lot more. Like I think with the adoption and fitment, there, that's one of the biggest problems that we need to kind of solve. How do we tell that story a lot better? And it ends up happening both in terms of uh, the content we're creating, the visuals we are creating. And in fact, the entire digital space, like wherever we create a footprint, can we design that better or can we design it for impact? I think these two spaces are definitely something that I would want to engage designers on. And then once, of course, you you learn a lot more from the NGOs that lead to a product roadmap, then converting it to the designs or interfaces is, is the next part of the problem. I however feel like UI UX is and I may be biased towards this, but I feel uh, UI UX is a lot easier problem to solve than to you know find that fitment with the storytelling and the research part. Are you learning or are you able to pick up on the right things that you want the product to take the direction, right? So I feel because these are the two hardest problems to solve, I would focus mostly on that. But yeah, that's uh, coming from me. I mean, uh, there can be different answers to how others would uh, kind of approach this problem. So that's uh, the one part. The other part where you said, uh, you know, designers or early designers focusing a lot more on the theory. It's something that I have come to discover in my interactions with a lot of the early stage designers is that they want to know everything before they start producing something or, you know, start creating something. And I think what ends up happening is when you create, you of course learn. But when you learn, you're not creating. So learning and how you're implementing that learning into something you create is very different from actually having created something. It's like a math problem, right? You can't solve a problem just by reading math. You have to actually solve those problems. That's how I see design as well. But in a lot of my conversations, and there can be different reasons to to be motivated to you know uh, dive deep with learning first approach than creating first. And I still need to learn, uh, you know, what those reasons could be. But I feel that actually having created those things that actually the creating brings both, right? It, it gives you something that tangible that you've created and you learn uh, at the end of it. It may be the bad first cut, but at the end of it, you see what you've done. And, and a lot of times, like in my process of mentoring the early season, what I will do is get them to create something and then also ask them to you know, have something that they want to aspire to or reach. So they will always have these two images of what they've created in the first cut and what they would want to reach out to. And then having seen these two, I think it becomes really easy for people to figure out themselves what is this journey or the path or the things that I need to learn to reach there. But I think that's what I would 
motivate or inspire i would like to inspire all of the uh, people early stage designers to go and create things i mean it, it shouldn't be one sided it shouldn't be lopsided towards learning it should have both the things yeah or multiple there's multiple sides what you can learn from others like interacting with their projects for example if uh, you publish something that you did with colored cow it's amazing how more people more designers can interact with what you did before and build upon that, you know, remix it, et cetera. I think that like community learning, it's actually something that, you know, it intersects between the learning, a learning process and a creative process because you're also creating and learning at the same time. Showing that up is in my opinion, what it's missing from all these efforts. So it was a hell of a conversation about that. I appreciate. Thanks a lot. For sharing. Yeah, this has been such an amazing conversation. I think a great example of why these podcast episodes are so vital to the open source community. We we are having conversations that I honestly am sad to end every episode. So I am going to take us into the final parts of this episode. I'd like to thank Abhishek for joining us uh, to talk about his work at Colored Cow and on Gilifik, the, the app checkout Gilifik at glific.org. It will also be in the show notes. Uh, we're going to move very shortly into the spotlights, but we're going to make room for one last question from our host, Perry. So I think one question I want to ask and conversation that I've seen like just come up randomly in the design and developer community is the collaboration between designers and developers. As someone who has a background in engineering or software development and have moved into design, what's the, in quotes, best practices that you say that designers have to learn to be able to collaborate with engineers more? Wow. Yeah. I think this has been one of the main focuses of our work at Kalika as well. Like, So we want to create this entity, which is, you know, creating magical uh, products at the intersection of design and technology, right? So I have closely worked with a lot of developers because it has predominantly been developers. So the one very crucial thing I've learned is, of course, communication. And when I say communication, I don't have a very generic form of communication. I mean, whenever you're creating design, does it clearly communicate everything that you've thought of? My goal is to put everything that I have in my mind onto the design file so that like one thing I try to do is, can I make the design so self-evident or so self-explanatory that the developer doesn't even need to talk to me to understand what I thought of or what I designed. And that has been my effort because once I do that, I kill all the waste uh, between design and development collaboration. So as soon as I pass on my design files to the development team, they uh, start developing it and they have the complete knowledge of everything that I have, you know, thought of. There are other things also that I do for this, which is keeping the developers early on in the project, like at the requirement stage or the conceptual stage, so they know what's coming. And then making my design fields. I've learned all of this through a lot of mistakes along the way. Like we would create these projects and we would get stuck in, you know, in the development phase. Like the development team will sometimes create something, assume I was thinking, And we have made a fair share of mistake in the past for me to kind of reach to uh, this thought process and, you know, to adopt such practices. 
but of course now with you know the new folks that uh, join the team i prefer to pass on all of that knowledge so that you know they don't make the same mistakes and they follow the uh, these practices from day one i think this just goes to show how many critical parts of design and open source are needing conversations so thank you thank you for raising that that question perry it's definitely one that requires a the answer the great answer that abhishek gave so to wrap up this episode we are going to thank abhishek thank you so much for coming to talk to us where can people find you on the internet so i'm available on all the uh, platforms uh, twitter linkedin i have weird uh, usernames uh, because of my very common name abhishek in india so on twitter people can find me at abhi1203 i also try to write on medium my journal there is called the everyday things of design where i try to keep up with you know everything that i learned every day on design but i haven't been doing that really well i mean i haven't been consistent with writing it but people can check that out or connect with me on linkedin great no worries i definitely can sympathize with not keeping up with a consistent writing practice as a designer you've got a lot of work to do so i'm i'm not surprised but i'm sure that the writing that is there is very good We will make sure that we put social profile links in the show notes as well folks so just in case you missed the spelling of any Twitter profiles or anything like that don't worry they will be available in text format so as we close out i'd like to make sure that i give another shout out to gilific and that is g l i f i c.org which is the product that abashake was working on at color cow And to move into spotlights this is where we talk about a project open source or otherwise that we think is cool and the host that I'm going to call on first is going to be Memo Esparza what spotlight have you got for us Yeah my spotlight for today is something that I um have been using from quite a while now it's a site called niceverynice.com release to remember and it's some sort of repository model that I, i will really like to replicate for open source stuff it includes you know a collection of resources libraries and the most interesting part i'm i'm finding here is like the examples of successful ui from real companies so yeah that would be my spotlight for today and perry what is your spotlight for today my spotlight for today would be in sort of new open source um initiative open source stories i think they have a lot of great vision to telling stories around open source and a lot of things that are unsaid and a lot of narratives that has been shaking under the carpet and i think they're doing an awesome job in trying to like give a spotlight to people who are changing the narrative in the open source space And I also think that this podcast obviously is one aspect where we give spotlight to people who are doing great work and I feel like having something like the open source stories is something that will do a lot of good in the open source community at large. Super cool. I can't wait to check that one out. Richard, what is your spotlight to say? TinyCat. TinyCat is a small library, online library system for small libraries. I am on the board of the local nature center. We have around 2, 3,000 books. We needed something to have members of the library take out stuff. TinyCat snuck right in and filled that need for us without me having to design something or without using a massive library system. I don't think it's open source, but it's very useful. 
we love useful things, even if they're not open source. So my spotlight for this episode is a project that is made by the Federation of Humanitarian Technologists, who, if you want to find out more about, there is a great episode on the regular Sustain podcast that you can check out. And I think two of the different founders of the Federation of Humanitarian Technologists have been guests on the Sustain podcast. You can find out more about what they do. But the tool that I'm promoing and talking about right now is called Coalesce, and that's C-O-A-L-E-S-C-E. It's an open source volunteer management platform. So they are doing similar work, I think, to Abishay, the folks at Gilefic, around how to give better tools to NGOs and better tools to human rights advocates and human rights activists. And they have a hackathon coming up very soon. Keep an eye on their communications to find out when their hackathon will be. And finally, taking it over to our guest, Abhishek, what is your spotlight? So I think one spotlight definitely goes to uh, the open source design community and all of the folks. So, and I say this because like when I was one year down in the uh, open source journey, I was trying to figure out like what are the open source communities uh, for design. And this is the first place I kind of found. And then, you know, so I like I've been attending the monthly discussions. So I think this definitely deserves a spotlight. And the second thing is one of the projects that we do at Colored Cow, it's called CodeTrek. That is a space or a learning program that we've created for graduates who have just come out of college to learn anything related to design, uh, to softwares, whether it is design, development, or you know, project management or anything. Because it's uh, free of cost, it's something that we run mostly in the uh, northern and hill regions in, in India. So I just wanted to give spotlight to that because people can access it, reach out to us to learn things anytime they want. And it's completely free of cost. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for those wonderful spotlights. Don't worry, listeners. They will all be linked in the various show notes and in places that you can find them easily. Thank you so much again to Abhishek for joining us for this conversation. We hope to have you back at some point soon. And thank you to all the rest of the hosts for joining us for this conversation. See you next time. Bye.